Um, I'm very grateful to Chris, who has actually put this sermon series together, and for the fact that he's going to do most of the preaching. He's already done a couple, and um, it's my privilege today to pick up this series in James, which, from the feedback I've heard, you'll find very helpful, and I hope that continues today. So if you have a Bible, you might like to turn to James. We're in chapter 1. I'm going to read from there in just a moment. My best guess this morning is that there isn't one of us here who is not facing what we might describe as one pressing need. For some of us, there may be more than just one pressing need. We may, in fact, be facing a number of them. Perhaps you could describe a pressing need as something that causes us to become anxious or concerned, perhaps something that causes us to worry or to become uncertain. My best guess is that for all of us, life has thrown up some major challenges. Some of them may be in the past, and we are now living in the consequences of those challenges. For some of us, those challenges may be what we are experiencing and going through right now, even in these moments as we gather here. We might even describe them as trials, with outcomes that are uncertain and unknown. It may be that there are challenges that we anticipate in the future, and these things cause us great concern. Sometimes, the truth is, we cause our own problems, don't we? Sometimes, the challenges we face or live in are the consequences and choices of others, aren't they? The truth is, we live in a world that is hard and challenging, a world that can be unfair and is sometimes tragic, and if we've watched anything on the television yesterday, we've seen it again yesterday, haven't we, with those uh, miners and the, the thing that's going on in Brazil right now. It's tragic. James was writing to people who, like you and me, were going through tough times. People like you and me who were finding it challenging to find their way through what they were facing. And here is what he says to them. James chapter 1 Picking it up at verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. The person should not expect, that person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Here's what I think he might mean. It was a pristine winter day with the sun glistening off the newly fallen snow. I had been flying for about an hour and was turning my Cessna 172 for final approach to runway 24 of Palwaukee Municipal Airport near Chicago. I could tell that my instructor was pleased. Though relatively new at it, I was getting the feel for flying. Moments later, 
I had what I thought was a nearly perfect landing. Without comment on my landing, my instructor spoke up. It's time to go under the hood. Yes, you are definitely ready for time under the hood. I wasn't sure to what he was referring. My first thought that he was going to show me the plane's engine. That's where I would have gone, if I'm honest. I asked him what he meant. He reached behind me and pulled out a strange-looking device. We're going to take off as usual, head north, away from O'Hare. Once we get to 5,000 feet and 40 miles from trouble, you're going to put this thing on and fly the plane. The device was designed to fit like a baseball cap, but had a large shield that allowed the pilot to see only his instruments. I followed his instructions and flew out over the Illinois-Wisconsin state line. Once we were in the desired location and at the right altitude, he turned to me and said, OK, put this on. When you do, you will not be able to see outside the plane. You will only see the controls and your instruments. Here's what I want you to remember. No matter what, trust your instruments, not your feelings. He then took control of the plane and began to make all sorts of maneuvers. Without the ability to look out of the window and see the horizon or the ground, I became disoriented. I really wasn't sure if we were turning, climbing, or descending. He began to instruct me what to do next. Imagine you have just flown into a cloud or are trying to land in the fog. Without an outside reference point, you will feel like you do right now, disoriented. What you need to remember is to trust your instruments not your feelings. After several minutes flying under the hood, it became apparent how important his admonition was. Everything in my body said I was level in flight. But the artificial horizon, an instrument that tells the pilot the orientation of his wings to the horizon, indicated that I was in a turn and descending. If you don't trust your instruments, you will enter what is known as a dead man's spiral and crash. What's worse, you will never know what you hit. That's why you must trust your instruments and not your feelings, warned my instructor. Tragically, that is probably what happened to John F. Kennedy Jr. on July the 16th, 1999. John, his wife, his sister-in-law were flying from New Jersey to Martha's Vineyard when the plane he was flying crashed into the sea. Two hours before his flight, Kennedy had got a weather forecast from the internet, but it offered no caution that the haze that hung over his route could obscure a pilot's vision of the horizon. The forecast called for good visual flying conditions with visibility of six to eight miles. It is likely that Kennedy became disoriented as he flew over the ocean on a nearly moonless night in a thick haze. Kennedy's Piper... Saratoga made a series of meandering turns as it tried to approach the airport at Martha's Vineyard. At 9.41 p.m., it crashed into the Atlantic Ocean. The NTSB report later revealed that the wreckage of Kennedy's single engine showed no evidence of a fire, no in-flight breakup, no engine or other mechanical problems. Their conclusion? Pilot error. Sometimes conditions outside a plane will mean a pilot will become disoriented. In those moments, he must trust the thing 
that will guide him through. If he trusts himself, his own judgments, his own perceptions, his own feelings, it might end in tragedy. Now, I checked this out with the two pilots that I am aware of in this congregation, Martin and Nigel, and I asked them both, how important is it that you trust your instruments? And they both told me, it is absolutely critical. It seems to me that James here is encouraging followers of Christ to do the same, only he is encouraging them to trust in God. Life sometimes leaves us confused or disorientated or wondering which way to turn, and we find it hard to understand and negotiate our way through. And James seems to be saying that the best way to live is to live in the truth of who God is and to hold a view of the world in which God is at the center. And you've already sung all of that this morning. That's why I point you to those songs. That's exactly what you've sung. Our God is an awesome God. God of heaven, majesty, living in me. James seems to be saying that that is the best way to live. It is to live in the bigger and the better story of the truth of God. And so for James... Wisdom is living in the truth about God, the bigger and the better story than the one we see in front of us, and using what we know about God to help us make decisions about how we will live here and now. James has something very important to tell us about God here. He tells us that God loves to give. He tells us that God is the God who simply loves to give. He tells us that that is the very nature of God. It is to give. And God wants to give to you always in every way. For God so loved the world that he gave. It's not a trick question, you know the answer. God never stops giving. It is part of his love Because love always gives. What it means is extraordinarily powerful. I love this. It's not mine. I wish it was, but I borrowed it. It means that God will never ask you to come to him tomorrow because he is too busy today. Get hold of that. It means that God will never ask you to come to him tomorrow because he is too busy today. God is always, always ready and waiting to give to you. James tells us that God is a generous giver. God gives to everyone, which unless I am terribly mistaken, means that God gives to you. And God gives generously to everyone. Perhaps a lovely way to think about that is that it means that God's giving has no heavenly limitation. What a lovely thought that is. God's giving has no heavenly limitation. And the way James uses the words here, it means that God gives to you as if he had nothing else to do. Now just take that on board for a minute. God gives to you as if he had nothing else to do. What? God always wants to give to you. He will never ask you to come tomorrow because he's too busy today. And his giving has absolutely no limitation. And he'll do it as if 
He has nothing else to do. You sang that already. Our God is an awesome God. He does it with a devotion that is centered on you. And James tells us that God gives without finding fault. That's simply another way of saying that God's welcome of you never fails. Which is another way of saying you are always welcome. And what's all this got to do with wisdom? I hear you cry. Well, I think it might be something like this. The world is a tough, unfair, challenging, and sometimes tragic place. God's desire and hope for you is that you will be able to live well and flourish even in the world with all its pain and all its challenges. The best way to do that is to live in the bigger and the better story of the truth about God who gives generously to all. He wants to help you. Get that. He wants to help you. And he wants you to become mature. Chris talked about this last week. A person who can make good choices and use all the circumstances of life to become the person he longs for you to be. Now you have to hear very carefully what I just said and not what I just didn't say. Let me say it again. God wants to help you. He wants you to become mature. He wants you to become a person who can make good choices. And here's the bit you might misunderstand. And who can use all the circumstances life may throw at you to become the person he longs for you to be. That means God is at work in the mess. It does not mean that everything that happens to you is something that God has deliberately chosen to throw at you to make you a better person. That is not true. But you can, with God's help, use all the circumstances that life chooses to throw at you to become more the person that God longs for you to be. That is absolutely true. Amen. Thank you, Chris. Next time, mate, shout it out really loud, and others might join in. Thank you. Wisdom, which actually is a gift of God that he so wants to give you, comes when we make choices in the light of the truth that we know about God. To be wise, then, is simply to live well in the light and truth of the bigger and better story of God. Now, I think that sounds great, and I hope you do too. But here's the rub, because you knew one was coming, didn't you? Here's the rub. It seems to me that if I am going to live well in God's bigger and better story and use what I know about him to guide and inform my choices, I must get to know his story and who he is, right? And the emphasis James seems to give in these verses about how I do this is prayer. Oh dear. So, you want to be wise? Well, let me ask the question the other way. Do you want to be foolish? (laughs) Oh, no. Do you want to be wise? then this question may also be a good one. How is your prayer life?
Not quite so easy now, is it? Now, we, we could have a whole discussion about prayer, and please don't think that what Ian means by prayer is simply sitting down at five o'clock in the morning, which, by the way, I have no watch or clock with that on. This simply doesn't exist in my world, five o'clock in the morning. It may in yours, it doesn't in mine. Five o'clock in the morning, sitting down, spending hours and hours and hours reading the Bible in quiet and solitude. That may be great for some of you. It doesn't work for me. Prayer is much broader than that, and we haven't got time to talk about that now, but you know that, don't you? Find ways that work for you. Jesus says, if any of, oh, sorry, James says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God for it. That's what he says. So here's what I think. Wisdom is what God gives generously when we spend time getting to know him. The more I get to know God, the more I can live well in his bigger and better story and the more able I am to make choices that lead to maturity, however difficult life turns out to be. And the more I get to know God, the more I'm able to trust that he has my best interests at heart and that he is capable of doing what he says. I might not understand everything that happens in this world or everything that happens around me or to me, but I will be more able to trust that God is at work for good. And remember, that is not the same as saying that everything that happens is good. It's not. We know that. There's nothing good about a mind collapsing. But in that tragedy, God is at work for good. Wisdom is not a vain hope that things will somehow work out for me. Or even that if I make all the right choices, things will work out for me. It is being able to fly in the midst of the storm because I trust that God is at work in the mess. Now, just I can't quite remember, but somewhere between Christmas and New Year, I received an email from Sadie. And I asked her if she'd share that email with us. And I'm not going to say anything more because I'm going to let Sadie talk for herself. But I'm going to invite Sadie to come and share what she said in an email to me, because I think it will be good for you to hear it, because I think this has something to do with wisdom. Now remember, Sadie, they're all your friends. <laughs> so um, I didn't know anything of what Ian was going to be talking about. Um, I actually had a, a dream, and it was not a dream like I saw things. It was a dream where I kind of had a, like an, an epiphany or a realisation. Um, and when I woke up, I thought, I need to share this. And I wrote it down on my phone, and I, um, Stu was like talking to me, and I was like, give me a minute, give me a minute. I've just got something in my head, and I need to get it out. And so I got it out, and then afterwards I read it to him, and he was like... What do you want to do with it? And I thought, I don't, I don't know. And he's like, do you want to send it to Ian? I said, yeah, that's what my heart is telling me, but I just, it's just so out of context. So I put it in an email and I wrote it down and um, it, I went to go send it and I read it through and I was like, this just sounds balmy. So <laughs> I deleted the email but kept the information that I'd written um, in a file and then... Um, between Christmas and New Year. Um, uh, David Molden preached, but um, Ian came up and said something about 
it being well with my soul. And then we sang it, and it just, it just hit me. Um, and so this was the email that I had written to Ian, unedited, um, from a little bit before Christmas. Some people wonder why God lets children like Nathan suffer, or children die. Why doesn't he stretch out his arm and intervene? We all know that he can. And yet, here is this innocent child who does not know sin, and they are being punished. Where is God in a time like this? A mum friend of mine recently shared a story on Facebook where a child's inoperable brain tumour miraculously disappeared. But instead of praising God, she was angry, saying, does Jesus pick and choose who he heals? Her son has kidney and liver disease and is in constant agony due to infections. And yet, I don't ever see it like that. You see, before Nathan was born, I had had four miscarriages. When I got pregnant again, I prayed desperately that God would let me keep this one. He answered. Every child writes their own testimony and every miracle of life has been touched by God. Unfortunately, there is sin in the world. There is death and pain and suffering and that is a consequence of sin and no one is immune. Becoming a Christian doesn't automatically put an immunity bubble around you and your family and keep you safe from sin. Otherwise, being a Christian would be very easy, wouldn't it? It is about faith, community, a relationship, taking on the storm, and dancing in the rain, no matter what the devil throws at you. When Nathan was born, it didn't matter how short his story was. I knew it was an epic testimony. And every day there are things going on that we cannot see. Hearts being softened, decisions being made because of the impact Nathan has had on the people. And that is the important thing to me. When Nathan was ill recently, there were a couple of Christian friends who said to me that they couldn't understand why God was letting this happen to him. They would understand if it was happening to them, they had done things in their lives that they were not proud of. But Nathan is an innocent child, and he was being put through so much. But I knew it was more than that. Whether Nathan lived or was taken to heaven, his path, his story, his testimony was bigger than I could see. I don't have any Bible verses that back up my faith, and I don't feel I need them. Nathan has time after time proved God's love to me. What he has endured and survived, that is enough proof to me that God has our back. And his story isn't finished yet. The amount of people who have got a little bit closer to God just by watching and praying from all over the world. If that is the reason for his life, then that is pretty awesome. If Nathan's whole life is meant to save even just one person, change just one heart, then I get it. I understand. God works in incredible ways, and although it doesn't always make sense, I trust that he, is no, he knows what he is doing with Nathan's life. It is well with my soul.
I found that challenging to read when Sadie sent me the email. I found it challenging to listen to. It's powerful on so many levels, isn't it? But I am wondering this morning if that is, and the reason I asked her to share it today was because I think that has something to do with wisdom. That's been able to hold the bigger picture of the story of God, even in the most difficult and challenging of life circumstances. And um, I'm not sure if I'm allowed to do this, but I want to say, well done, Sadie, (laughs) and Stuart, who's hiding at the back there somewhere. (laughs) I mean, some of us have had the privilege of sharing some of that journey with them. And we hope we have the privilege of continuing to share that journey with you. And I think it's a beautiful, powerful, and wonderful example of what James might be talking about here. It is holding the bigger and better story of God, holding on to the truth that we know about him, even when life doesn't make sense and is really, really hard. It's flying under the hood. It's trusting the instruments in the midst of the storm. It's dancing in the rain, to use Sadie's words. It is to live in the truth about God and to trust ourselves to God. It's making decisions based on what we know about God. That, that it seems, is wisdom. Now, a bit later on in James, um, in chapter 3, verses 13 to 18, he talks again about wisdom. Just because of the time, I'm not going to read that to you now. But I think what, in essence, he's saying in those words is that he's telling you what wisdom looks like when it comes into practice. So my challenge for you out of this morning is to go away and read those words and see how you're doing. See how you match up to what James says wisdom is. Now, One of the things I realize is when you come to a biblical text, there are so many different ways you can understand it, interpret it, and explain it. And and I realize I've taken one view this morning. And and if I've missed it by a mile, then you have my most humble apology. But here's what I am convinced of. God longs for you to be wise. He longs for that because he knows that wisdom is what helps you to live well in the world as it is. Wisdom is what helps you to live well in the middle of our most pressing needs. And God longs to be able to help you to live well because he longs and desires for you to reach your full redemptive potential. That's another way of saying of becoming all that you can be here and now. His heart is that you become mature and able to live with faithfulness and resilience. And he longs for you to flourish. And we can do that, I think, by getting to know God better, by living in the truth of his bigger and far better story, and by asking for his help. So if you lack wisdom, (coughs) ask God. Amen.